navigating college with type 1 diabetes. Now for those who choose the road of continuing their education, the journey of heading off to college with type 1 can be a huge leap of faith for both students and parents alike. For a lot of young adults living with T1D, this journey includes newfound independence and responsibilities in diabetes management, while it simultaneously includes all of the newfound independence and responsibilities included in just transitioning to adulthood. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Leap, a video and podcast series brought to you by the Diabetes Family Connection, where we track down inspirational folks who have stepped outside of their comfort zones, taken a leap of faith, all while navigating the highs and lows of type 1 diabetes. On today's episode, we went straight to the source and sat down with Danelle Thompson, Shay Wixon, Sam Jimenez, Christopher Sharkey, Keaton Viadro, and Jordan Rice six current or recent college students who have navigated the college experience with type 1 diabetes. In today's episode, we tackle all sorts of great topics, including getting accommodations through your university, setting healthy boundaries with your parents, navigating the social scene, and a whole lot more. I really think you're going to enjoy today's episode, so we'll jump right into it. Well, y'all, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of The Leap. Today, we are tackling a uh, question we get all the time, managing type one diabetes in college. And I know it is a huge leap of faith for a lot of folks that can mean managing diabetes independently for the first time or leaving their homes for the first time. Uh, and a lot of questions can come from this. So we are fortunate today to be joined by an all-star team of folks that are either currently in college or have recently graduated from college. So with that, we'll go ahead and just jump right into introductions. So just to get us started off, if you wanna say your name, where you're currently in school or where you graduated from, uh, what your major is and how long you've been living with type one diabetes. So Sam, we'll go ahead and kick it off with you. Hey, hi, I'm Sam. Um, I'm currently at UNC Chapel Hill. My major is radiologic science and I have had diabetes for 10 years. Awesome. Uh, Keaton, we'll pop down to you. Uh, my name's Keaton. Um, I go to school at Santa Clara University. I am a, going to be a sophomore and I've had type one diabetes for 11 years. Awesome. Uh, Danelle, we'll pop over to you. Yeah, so hi, my name is Danelle Thompson. Uh, I graduated from the University of North Carolina with a degree in political science and Spanish. Uh, this is my 18th year of diabetes, about to be my 19th year in November. Awesome. All right, Shay. Uh, my name is Shay. I just graduated from UNC Greensboro in May in human development and child studies. And then I'm about to start grad school in January to become a child life specialist. And I've had diabetes for 18 years. Awesome. All right, Sharky. Hey guys, I'm Chris. Um, I'm currently going to NC State University. This will be my sophomore year. I'm studying biomedical engineering. I've had diabetes for 11 years. Wow, I'm bad at math. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And last but certainly not least, Jordan. Hey, guys. I'm Jordan. Um, I'm going to be a sophomore at Appalachian State. Go Mountaineers. Um, I'm majoring in nursing with a minor in psychology. And I've had diabetes for 17 years. Well, very cool. Uh, we'll do a quick rapid fire question because I think it's going to ultimately be relevant to the conversation. Really quickly, how do you manage your diabetes? So are you on shots? Are you, do you wear a CGM? Uh, do you wear a pump? 
Uh, we'll start with you, Sam. So I just switched to the Omnipod and I'm also on Dexcom. Keaton. Uh, I use the Dexcom G6 and the Tandem Insulin Pump with Control IQ. Got it. Uh, Shay. Um, I have the Medtronic pump. 670? Yes. Do you wear the, um, the sensor CGM? with it? Um, I'm getting it. Got it. Yeah. Cool. All right, so now. Uh, we're the Omnipod and the Dexcom G6. Cool. Sharky, Chris. I'm wearing the Dexcom and the T-Slim insulin pump. Are you using Control IQ with your? I am, yes. Okay. And then Jordan. Yeah, so I have the Omnipod and the Dexcom G6. Cool. So before we even kind of jump into college, I think one of the questions that's relevant is uh, getting into college, which requires taking either the ACT or the SAT. And I know there's a lot of um, questions that can surround getting certain accommodations before taking one of those uh, exams. Did any of you have an experience where you got those, those accommodations and what did that look like? Sam, well, I see you nodding your head if you want to kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So um, starting in middle school, um, we like my parents really jumped on the ball about like getting accommodations for anything that I would need. And then my guidance counselor um, was like, we want to go ahead and meet when I was before I was even in high school um, to go ahead and get my um, accommodations for the SAT and ACT rolling. At first, it was not like working at all because um, originally when I first took my SAT, my blood sugar dropped and they ended up kicking me out of the exam and I didn't get to oh, finish wow. it. Yeah, so we like made sure that we went back, showed them what my accommodations were. And then after that, they had like a separate testing area for me um, so I could pause essentially the test at any point and like eat, drink, do whatever I had to do without being penalized. Okay, it's kind of a, a roller coaster of, of yeah. different situations there. Did anyone have a different experience? Did anyone not have accommodations when taking the ACT or SAT? So Danelle and Sharky, you're both raising your hand. So uh, Sharky, do you want to talk about your experience? Yeah, so I actually really wish I had gotten accommodations. Um, I snuck a bag of gummy worms into the SAT with me mm. just in case anything happened. And of course my sugar went low because I didn't get accommodations. And uh, I remember like the entire test room just slowly looking back at me as I was quietly tearing open this bag of gummy worms underneath the desk. So I almost got kicked out of my as well. Um, so I'd definitely say you'd rather be safe than sorry in that situation. Okay, definitely sound advice there. And what do those accommodations specifically kind of look like for those of you that, that uh, receive them? Yeah, Jordan. Okay, so my dad was very, like, he was my biggest advocate in getting these accommodations. Um, he, my guidance counselor wasn't very helpful, so um, my dad really pushed for him. I had the ability to stop the clock um, when I was testing if my blood sugar did go low, and I was able to take breaks and have food in the room, which then, like, led me to be in a separate, like, room. I personally, though, didn't use any of those accommodations because I was super self-conscious and didn't want to be, like, like different I guess because all my friends were doing like the normal route and I wanted to be like everybody else but looking back I really wish I did utilize that because I think my scores could have been better if I did like end up following through so I did have accommodations but I didn't use them awesome well thank you for sharing your experience um, okay we'll jump into college now raise your hand if 
having diabetes impacted your decision on where you went to school? Kind of, sort of, we're seeing kind of a mixed bunch there. Shade, why don't you talk about your experience? Yeah, so for me, it was always something in the back of my mind. Like I wanted to make sure I was close enough to family if something were to ever happen, but it wasn't the biggest deciding factor. I ended up going to school about an hour and a half away from where I grew up. And until then, I had never been more than 20 minutes away from any member of my family. So, and that for me was a really big, big gap and very far. Um, But I think it can be very beneficial because you get a new level of independence. So it was a deciding factor, but almost in the way, like I wanted to prove to myself that I could be far away and be okay. Um, So, yeah. All right. Danelle, I noticed you did not raise your hand. What was your thought process on it? So pretty much, like, I was the type of guy that was like, oh, whatever college gave you most money. So, <laughs> oh, so <laughs> yeah. But, like, I also like to echo what she said because I had a feeling that, like, okay, like, I still need to be able to be in contact with my parents and, and my, my community and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, though, I also felt like I needed that, ch- that chance and that space to, like, get away, but also do my thing. Cause like I was kind of like a guy that was like, oh, like I can do this. Like I'll figure it out. Um, wherever I go, whether that's like Alaska, whether that's Hawaii, like I'm gonna figure it out. I guess it's just a difference of like preference. So yeah. So we'll go ahead and jump into our next question, which is talking about different living arrangements in college. I know some folks probably still live at home and and commute to school, and then there's also the folks that when they're a freshman they move into freshman dorms. We'll go ahead and start with those of you that have lived away from home. Keaton, we'll feel this one to you with your roommate. Did you know your roommate ahead of time? So I did uh, like a random selection for my roommate my freshman year. I'm planning on living with one of my friends um, in an apartment this year. But uh, the the whole random thing for my freshman year in the dorms was a little bit of a, a learning curve for sure, especially with diabetes. Like I wasn't really sure how to have that have a, have a conversation about it with my roommate. Like, how do I bring it up kind of thing? I struggled with it for a while. And in the end, it was just sort of easier to just be like, look, I have this thing. It, it, it's part of my life, you know, please let me know if it bothers you, but you know, it's going to be here. And I was just super straight up with him, not like letting it just hang in the background and like waiting for him to come to me really helped because like, he then offered to like pick up supplies at Safeway if he did a run to the store and like that kind of stuff. So I think I lucked out. Um, it could have been a lot worse, but that, that first conversation about it definitely was, had me really nervous and I was, you know, wasn't really sure how to have that conversation. Um, but just going for it and being like, you know, this is who I am. This is what I deal with. It, it wasn't so bad. Awesome. It, at what point it, from living together, did you ha- actually have that conversation with him? We found out our roommates like the couple months before we were to move in. And I think, I think we maybe like texted a little bit. And then I just, I asked if he wanted to like FaceTime because I had something to tell him. And then I was just like, look, this is what I, this is why I got going on. Um, so I, I, we had a, that conversation uh, about a month before we moved in. Cool. Did anyone have a different experience? Yeah, Jordan. 
Okay, so mine is probably very unique and probably the exact opposite of what everyone's kind of thinking. Um, my roommate actually did have diabetes as well. Oh, no way. Uh, and it went horribly. Like, yeah. it could not have been any worse. Um, so we ended up um, parting ways, or like, separate. Hopefully, hopefully she doesn't watch this episode, Jordan. Oh, <laughs> maybe you can edit it. Okay, anyways. Um, but so the way it went was after two weeks, it, it wasn't working. And so what I did, I ended up going the random route. Like I was placed with someone I had never met, never talked to. I found out I was moving like two hours before. And then two hours later, I was in my new room. Never met this girl. Um, actually, she's like my best friend now. So it's kind of funny how that all works. I was like, um, you know, hi, I'm Jordan. I've never met you. I have diabetes. You know, she was really cool about it. She she actually is hooked up to my Dexcom. Like she still gets like my readings and stuff. Um, and she'll text me. She'll be like, hey, like your blood sugar is low. And, but it's not like a mom kind of thing. Just, like it, Sometimes it can be a bit much with parents sometimes, but she's really good about communicating and being like, hey, like I've seen this. It's been trending down for a while. Are you okay? She would also um, like bring me like snacks if I didn't have anything. So it actually, it worked out okay. If I guess for whoever's watching, you are getting a random roommate, just communication is really important. I, yeah, like very critical. If you're just open and honest, I think that's really what anyone's looking for. I know I personally would rather be in the know and know and then just be kind of in the dark. Cool. Yeah. So we kind of have both ends of the spectrum. It sounds like Keaton, you were a little bit more matter of fact. This is just who I am. This is something I live with. And Jordan, you actually kind of involved your second roommate a little bit in the diabetes management aspect of it. For any of you, did you ever have kind of a, a, a day or a time when you trained your roommate on this is what to do if you know X, Y, or Z happens? Shay, I see you shaking your head. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I had a freshman roommate in the dorm. She was random assigned. And funnily enough, she was terrified of needles, of blood, of anything, like, related. So she, like, I give her props. She's still one of my good friends. But um, I did I did want to train her, so it took a while. But it was really beneficial, and it was almost kind of fun because it made her way more comfortable with asking me questions about everything with her knowing like if something were to happen, she would know how to take care of me or at least know how to take care of me in that moment. Um, so it can be kind of fun because a lot of people don't, they just don't understand what you have to go through. And it's kind of fun to be like, yeah, I have to do this, this, and this. And people find it interesting. And my roommate who hates blood, needles anything like that even found it interesting after a while so i think it's a i think it's a good thing it brought us closer which i mean that's all you can hope for but yeah awesome cool very cool aside from your roommates in the dorms was there anyone else uh, kind of in your living arrangement that you decided to tell i know a lot of dorms have ras or resident advisors did anyone you tell your ras first maybe you should kind of explain the role of an ra and what they do in a dorm and then talk about that conversation yeah, so I don't know how it is at other schools, but at Santa Clara, they're called like community facilitators. So they, they, uh, it's it's pretty much the same as an RA from what I've heard about other colleges. But they're just there as like sort of a second year, third year student at the school, um, living in the dorms, kind of help facilitate dorm life. You go to them if you need help with certain things with your roommate or have questions about scheduling classes. I don't know. Really, really just sort of like a backboard in the dorm 
someone who's been to college a year or two already. But yeah, so I had a conversation with my CF or my RA. He lived down the hall from me and I was, I said, I have type one diabetes. Like this is what a glucagon looks like. Just sort of like the emergency procedures, if anything were to happen to me, just sort of like surface level, how he could take care of me if something were to go really wrong. But I also had that same conversation with one of my best friends who also lived right down the hall, just in case. Um, so I had like my roommate, my RA or my CF, and then my best friend in the dorm all had that same conversation and to varying degrees of conversation between them. But yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, so we'll take it up a level. So kind of on a more macroscopic sense, a lot of colleges have uh, something like disability services or um, an office within the university where you basically can get kind of those accommodations that you uh, may have gotten in high school or through groups like the ACT and SAT testing centers. Jordan, you want to kind of talk about that conversation and that experience? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So at App, um, there's the ODR, it's Offices of Disability Resources. Um, and I went, actually, I probably went a little too late. I went in my second semester. I was taking a statistics class and I, my blood sugar like bottomed out during a test, which I did terribly on because my blood sugar was low. And I, I went and I talked to my teacher as I did like before the school year or before the second semester had started. She was like, yeah, yeah, whatever you need. But then when I was like, hey, like this isn't working. She was like, oh, that, that stinks for you. Basically your test score is what it is. And I was like, well, that's not right. So I went to the office of like disability. I was like, hey, you know, like I have diabetes, like, please, like, can, is there anything you can do? And they had me um, fill out um, some paperwork and they, it, it went up to like a higher, I don't know, I guess, governing body that looked at um, my, what I had written. And I don't know about like you guys and your schools, but um, it was definitely kind of a culture shock, I guess, because in high school, it was a little bit easier to get accommodations and to get, like, people to uh, be a little more understanding. I think um, maybe it, it, in that circumstance or just in general, colleges, probably there's some people trying to pull the wool over, like, others' eyes, and so it makes it a little bit harder to um, actually get the accommodations you need. Um, so I guess, like, my advice for anyone going to college would be, I guess, start early. Like, I, it was kind of a pain in the butt to find, like, Office of Disability. I was like, why do I have to do this? This is so annoying. But I think I wish I had done it sooner. So then, like, I could have prevented that entire situation from happening. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Would you all recommend starting at that office and then telling your professors or are there circumstances when it would make more sense just to go directly to the professor to get accommodations? Yeah, Sam. So at um, UNC, basically, if you have accommodations, you can log on to your portal and it'll send all of your professors an email with oh, wow. all of your accommodations outlined. And then in addition to that, I would obviously send the emails and then go meet with my professors like the first week of class anyway, just to like double check that they got the email and things like that. Um, but yeah, so it was like a super helpful setup if you just like look into like your university's like disability services, because I feel like a lot of them do have that to where it's like automatic. So. Sharky, why don't you, can you tell us about your experience a little bit? <laughs> this is a bit of an antidote. I hope y'all find it somewhat amusing, but I ran into somebody on campus named Nick, who I actually went to camp with. 
And the first thing he told me was, hey, did you know you can get an extra fridge in your room because you have diabetes? All right. Okay. Actually, I was like, that's so cool. I'm going to register with the disability office for that. And uh, I told my roommate, and he was really enthusiastic about it too, because obviously we wanted more fridge space. So I, uh, you know, submitted my request, told them I have all this insulin in my mini fridge and it's overflowing. And they were like, okay, we're going to take you out of the building you're currently living in and put you in a different one without a roommate so that we can fit both fridges in your room. And I responded like, uh, oh, I just figured out there's a whole other shelf in this fridge I hadn't seen. So <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> um, and that was honestly the entirety of my interaction with the disability office. I just had <laughs> been advised by other people to uh, register first and foremost, so that if you end up needing an accommodation, it's not this whole bureaucratic process of filling out paperwork. It's just, hey, I need this. Can I have it, please? Got, got it. That's a good takeaway. A lot of nodding heads there. Um, when would be the appropriate time to have this conversation? Should you wait for the semester to have already started or do you have it well in advance before you even show up? Sam, I see you nod in your head. What's your recommendation? So as pretty much soon as you figure out where you're going, start looking into it is what I did. Um, and the best advice that I found online was like, ask for everything. Cause the worst that they can do is say no. So even if it seems ridiculous or like, you're like, I would never actually use this. And that makes no sense having diabetes, like just ask for it because again, the worst they can do is say no and you'll never know if you need it, like Chris said. So, and there's a lot of good, like you can look up a bunch of people will post lists of like things that they have asked for. So it like gets the ideas rolling and things like that. Okay, cool. All right, we are going to transition on to our next hot topic, which is uh, working with your parents and your caregivers and your legal guardians once you're actually off to college. So before we kind of jump into that, maybe if we can talk about what your relationship looked like specifically regarding uh, diabetes management prior to you leaving for college. Were your parents heavily involved? Were you fairly independent at this point? Okay. Well, so my, again, experience is probably a little bit different than the majority of people that watch this, but I'm just going to share anyway. Um, so I've had diabetes for forever, it feels like. Um, and so basically, I don't remember like what my life was like without it. Um, but my parents, I got a lot of independence in like the middle school, high school area. And that was probably the worst time to get like that much independence. Because for me, especially like I just wanted to be like, like normal. And I did, I was on shots like in the middle school, high school, like time frame. So I get a lot of questions. And so that again, resulted in me not really being responsible and resulting in my A1Cs being a lot higher. So going to college was like a big thing. And my parents were very concerned, like in, in sending me away because I hadn't had the best track record, if that makes sense. Um, so when I did go to college, it was very, it was literally endocrinologist appointments every two months. It was it was very um, difficult for me. But since I had the Dexcom, my parents were also on the Dexcom loop. Um, and in, I think the first day I got the Dexcom, uh, my blood sugar went really low that night. Like just it read like LOW. And I ended up having the police like banging on my door in, in my dorm room in, in the the building and they were like police please open up and I was like I, I was low and I was kind of out of it because it was three in the morning and my roommate opened the door she's like 
I think you have the wrong like wrong room because my floor was kind of notorious for partying and my roommate and I didn't party really so they're like she's like I think you have the wrong room they're like is Jordan here and I was like oh my god I'm going to jail like this is terrifying and they're like no your mom called us um can you just check your blood sugar and I was like sorry, what? So I checked my phone. I had 16 missed calls from my mom. My roommate had missed calls from my mom. It was, it felt very difficult. I understand why my parents did what they did, but it's, it's very invalidating and it can be very difficult when you're trying to like gain independence and be independent. So I know that was a very long-winded answer to a very short question, but <laughs> we're actually we're going to get deeper into it. Um, so, what did that conversation look like after that experience, after that event? Okay, so I was I, I called them the next day after I had treated and went to bed and slept on it because I was I was pretty upset. I was very hurt. Um, I tried very hard to communicate it in a way that where they where they felt heard and where I felt heard too. But I think I think for a lot of parents, and I'm not a parent, and I'm not a parent of a child with diabetes, but I think it's it's a lot of fear. Um, because I go to app, it's two and a half hours away from my house. There is nobody there. Like they, the, all they see is numbers on a screen, you know, and they don't know, like, they don't know what's going on. So I understand why they did it, but I guess like, I, I'm still trying to implement like, Hey, you know, like I'm in college now, like. Now I'm hopping in with just a quick editor's note because I feel like this topic is so important and I am so grateful that Jordan shared her experience when I was an undergrad. The idea of sharing my blood glucose in real time with someone else wasn't even a blip on the radar or a reality that I knew would even be possible one day. So hearing Jordan's story really got the wheels turning with different thoughts and ideas and I was able to find parallels with my own journey with diabetes, which is ultimately what the leap is all about. So after having a few days to process her experience, I think there are two important takeaways here. One. Communication is key. It sounds like Jordan and her family did a phenomenal job with this. Regardless of how sensitive you are to your blood sugars or how light of a sleeper you may be, I think it's very important for every family to plan on this exact experience happening and to have that conversation ahead of time. And that conversation could potentially look like if it's the middle of the night and we as parents or caregivers get X amount of consecutive low alarms, we're first gonna check in with you, whether that's via phone call or text message to see if you've got it. The response back might be something as simple as a thumbs up or a yep, and then you can just leave it at that. Get on with your night. If X amount of time has passed and we have not been able to get in touch with you, we're then gonna reach out to maybe your roommate or an RA or someone we know that's with you to try to get in touch. If we haven't heard from any of these people in this amount of time or X amount of time, we're then gonna put this plan into action. I think having some of these expectations or plans put in place ahead of time could help temper some of the emotions if and when situations like this do arise. Second takeaway, diabetes stinks. And I don't think there's gonna be anybody arguing that. Nobody living with diabetes asked to have diabetes and there can be times when it can feel like a very, very punitive disease. So I can certainly empathize with all of the emotions that Jordan felt in this experience. And as someone living with diabetes, I think it's also important to remember that our parents, our caregivers, our loved ones never asked for diabetes to be a part of their lives either. And I'm sure it can be a huge source of worry and anxiety. And at the end of the day, nobody wants worry or anxiety in their life. This is all to say, and trust me, it is easier said than done. 
In our relationships, it's important to remember who the enemy is here, and it's diabetes. We are all on the same team against this common enemy. So inevitably, when these situations and these emotions and these frustrations do come up, it's being very intentional with the language that we choose and where we are directing those emotions. Because a lot of times, and this happens on both sides of the fence, it's really easy to get upset with our loved ones when really we are upset with stupid, stupid diabetes. All right, that's enough blabbering from me. Back to the episode. So I definitely have the same sentiment about the sharing of the numbers. Like it's, it's kind of frustrating sometimes, but in from my position, like if anything were to happen where I would be in a position where I couldn't care for myself and like I'd rather just have a safety net in place, at least for the, you know, your first year, your first quarter, first semester, until you start to like get into the groove of college, like maybe that conversation can happen like later in the year at the, at the same time, like, you know, it's a whole new chapter of life going to college and lots of things can happen. And there's so many unforeseeable challenges with type one diabetes that having you know, someone that can kind of look over your shoulder a little bit, who maybe understands the disease a little bit more than your friends would or your RA. It could potentially, you know, in the worst case scenario, be the, be like life or death. And I hate to say that, but like that safety net for me was comforting to know that someone else who understood the disease was watching, even though it could get really annoying and really frustrating sometimes to have texts coming in at all hours of the day from my parents like you know like I know they care and it would it would be hard to see them just like completely give up helping me um after you know them spending 10 years you know with me dealing with type one like they're just as invested in the in the disease as I am sure uh Danelle I see you nodding your head a lot in agreement and as someone who has recently graduated college and is now living totally independently. What do you think are healthy boundaries with, with parents and how does it kind of morph through your, your college tenure? I don't know, for me, like it's, I don't know, just simply just sitting down with my parents helped out a lot and just like talking to them and being very like upfront with like, like where I am with my diabetes, but also where I am as a person. I'll let them know that, hey, like, if something happens, yes, it's okay to like, you know, contact me or, or to show your concern. Cause I know like, I can't, I can't stop that. I can't be like, Hey, like don't, don't care about me. Cause like they, they, they care about me a lot. But at the same time, I also have to remind them like, Hey, like I got this, like, thank you. But I got, I got this. Um, and like, I understand, but, but at the same time, like you also gotta, you also gotta give me that space to, 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 to do my thing, you know? Um, so like kind of like how it works like after college like they're still gonna they're still gonna have that like sense of like compassion empathy and like concern for you I think for me because like my situation is kind of different for me like my parents typically kind of like understand that hey like Danelle's got this for me like call my parents and like letting them know hey like this is how my day went or like hey no the day didn't look so good and so kind of showing them that like the other side of like my care for them, but also like building that relationship with each other so that we can have those uncomfortable conversations. And just, just being, I think, very clear with them what, what you need, but also what they need. 
and then understand that it's going to get rocky sometimes and that's okay too so awesome yeah that's what that's family in a nutshell right how about ordering supplies sam what is your experience with with when it comes to getting more insulin or getting more pump supplies have you taken that under your umbrella of responsibility or is that something your parents still help you out with so my parents are still helping me out with that um i usually that's i feel like that's kind of our way of actually like keeping in check with each other so like once a month i'll make sure that i go home to get my supplies and then my parents and i can like keep in check see how i'm doing health wise and stuff like that so it kind of builds off the last question i guess but yeah so awesome cool so what do you guys do if you're in a pinch let's say you maybe you left your insulin in your car and it's gotten too hot and you are out of insulin what what have been kind of your protocols or what systems do you have in place i froze my insulin uh oh, the okay college okay. The, the refrigerator um in in my uh i think second semester they changed it um so instead of like oh it, it was a different format and i wasn't really paying attention when i moved back in i was just so excited to be back at school like after winter break that i just kind of threw my insulin in there i was like whatever and then i had to change my pod and I, I do insulin, I fill up my pods with the pens, like no blog flex pens. So that's how I fill up like my, and my pens were all frozen. And I was like, oh my God, I have no insulin. I have zero insulin. I am really in a lot of trouble. And I just remember sitting there like, and I was like, this is really bad. And my roommate was like, wait, so this is about good thing about communication with your roommate. My roommate was like, wait, doesn't the RA on like the second floor have like diabetes? I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. So we went down to the second floor and the RA had quit, but there was this guy who knew this other guy who had diabetes and he brought me insulin. So that was one of the scariest moments in my life, but it also taught me a lot about community and like people being willing to help others. Now that being said, I had to call CVS. I had to call my endocrinologist and be like, I froze my insulin. And getting that prescription transferred to Boone was a little bit difficult. I ended up getting to the CVS and they gave me one Novolog pen. So like it has 200 units in it. And they were like, here's your 90 day supply. I was like, oh, this is not going to last me like a week. You know, like this is a problem. So it taught like be advocate for yourself, I guess is very important. And when you're ordering supplies and they, if they get it wrong, continue to call, continue to be that person. It may, it may seem annoying. You may be like, I feel so bad. I feel like I'm annoying people, but you are your like first priority. Like you need to be like your number one priority. It doesn't matter if it makes it like a little bit difficult for the people at the pharmacy. You need to advocate for yourself. And I ended up eventually getting my insulin because I did you know, continue to go back and be like, this isn't right. This isn't right. I need this. You know? Awesome. Okay. Very cool. So there are a number of folks that are either diagnosed in college or they're diagnosed past the time when they can go to diabetes camp, or maybe they just never even went to diabetes camp. So they don't really have that community or those resources that you get when you attend diabetes camp. Um, what are some organizations or some resources available for college age students right now that you all have found uh, beneficial? And it can either be, you know, online resources, it could be uh, resources that are available specifically to your school. Uh, Shay, we'll start with you. Okay, so um, the first thing that comes to my mind is something that I discovered my junior year. Um, and I think this exists at every school is that on Facebook, actually there are, if you search, there's like Facebook groups, if you search like 
for me, it was UNCG diabetics, and there was groups and groups of people who had diabetes who went to your school. And so that was a really cool resource that I didn't know existed until almost out of college. And I saw on there on the pages, some people like we were just talking about would be like, my insulin, I left it at home. Does anybody have like 20, 20 units that I could borrow? And it was just really cool. And it was also people posting on there like, I was just diagnosed. I'd love to get coffee with someone who has had it for a little bit longer. So that's one that I think would be in everybody's area, at least something like that. Maybe now it's on Instagram. If you do like hashtag UNCG diabetic, you can probably find people. But that was just a really unique one that I didn't know of, um, but it was really helpful. And I met a lot of great people through that. So that was a cool one. Awesome. So it's kind of like a hybrid of an online resource. And then there's also the opportunity to meet folks in person. Very cool. Yeah. Who else has got some cool resources? Yeah, Sam. So I actually met Danelle through, um, there's a, we had like a diabetes club on campus through Campus Health. And through that club, we um, were in contact with the College Diabetes Network, who provides a lot of resources for just dealing with diabetes in college, you know, advocating for yourself, like just talking about it in general. So we kind of, it, our club was more kind of like a support group but it was super helpful. Um, we all got together like once a month and just talked about frustrations we've had, things that we figured out that is super helpful to do on campus, um, any resources that we have and just like all connected on that. Cool, so are there any kind of cool online resources for just more generic information that you all turn to? Yeah, Sharky. Um, I regularly just look up diabetic questions on YouTube. There's tends to be somebody with a channel on there who has an answer to your questions. So don't be afraid to look in places you wouldn't really expect to find stuff like that. Yeah, YouTube is a great resource. This is going to be on YouTube, as a matter of fact. <laughs> We're going to stick with you, Sharky. Uh, I want to hear some of your experiences of navigating. Obviously, money is tight when you're in college, so you don't maybe always spend money on the healthiest foods. There's a lot of cheap unhealthy foods available in college, especially in the dining halls. What has your experience been and how have you managed to navigate it? Um, for me, it was kind of a trial and error process of finding which foods would, you know, not mess up my blood sugars and which ones would. Because I don't know about y'all, but no matter how perfectly I bolus for some foods, it always spikes me. And it's just the rest of my day is blown up at that point. Um, and I also like to eat like diverse foods. I, don't like sticking to this regimen of diet to ensure that my blood sugars are good. So it really was sort of an opportunity to, you know, develop these healthy eating habits and things like that. And looking at it, not only as this is going to help my blood sugar, but I'm going to physically feel better. This will nourish my body better, you know, so you kind of have to look at it from a broader perspective of just diabetes. And that's what helped me the most. Awesome. Cool. Does anyone have a different experience or anything to add? I know, like, uh, when I went through college, like, I was like, all right, I really have all this money to buy stuff and, like, you know, get groceries or anything like that. So I was just like, I'll just stick with the dining hall. But, like, I don't know, like, as I got older, as I started, like, cooking more and like, actually getting those groceries and stuff like that, I'm like, well, it's, like, not even that expensive. My <laughs> 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 like, times, but, like, I don't know, like, for me, like, personally, I, I would say, like, try to stick away from going to the dining hall as much. Um, and, like, preferably, like, say, like, cook your own meals or, like, find a way to either go to a farmer's market and, like, get things through there. Because, um, like, ultimately, they're, they're healthier. They don't have, like, 
all these pesticides in it. Um, like that's good. You're gonna feel good physically, but also you'll be able to be good at an, at an emotional level as well. So like, I, I say like try to at least at least cook more often. Some food is fuel. Um, all right, we will go ahead and jump into another huge aspect of college, which is kind of the social environment and the social life involving college. And there are a lot of parties and opportunities to um, be exposed to a lot of different things. And we certainly won't ask anyone to self-incriminate themselves with any experiences that they've had uh, with social events. So we'll kind of keep this as generic advice. So if you were to talk to somebody um, who might find themselves going to a party where drugs or alcohol are present, what would be some advice that you would give to someone who's living with type one, that things that you would want to consider probably before you even head out to that party? When you are low and have alcohol in your system, glucagons do not work because alcohol is processed in your liver and so is glucagon. Anytime you go to a party and you think it's possible you might engage in something like that, always pack some form of gel glucose so that have a good friend with you who knows if this happens, you know, you're going to have to sort of force feed gel to me. Um, it, it can be a life or death situation, unfortunately. And that's an extremely important thing for, I think, every diabetic to know. I would say just sort of have a plan going into it. Really, really think about it. Get like, don't go out alone. Have someone there who understands your condition and don't overdo it. Like ease in slow and try to figure out what you can and can't do in a really safe way safety is sort of like the number one thing that I would encourage. Make sure you're eating food um, before you engage in any activities um, that potentially could mix up the signals that you're feeling. And, and yeah, the, the whole glucagon not working thing is a, a, a big component. So, you know, eating beforehand, keeping some, some sort of something on you and just keeping the people around you informed of what you're going through and stuff like that. Um, communication on every level. What, what would be some of the kind of need to know items that you would want a friend to know that would might accompany you to a party or any kind of social gathering? I would say just like the obvious signs of low blood sugar, like getting spacey, like that kind of thing. And just having someone to check in with you constantly, like, you know, just having someone else to like come tap me on the shoulder and be like, Hey, how's it going? How's your blood sugar? You know, it can be a super quick conversation. Sure. Sure. Uh, Sam, there's a lot of parallels between the symptoms of being inebriated or intoxicated or drunk or whatever you want to call it with also hypoglycemia or a low blood sugar. Um, what would kind of be the important things you might want to share with a friend? So having the Dexcom, um, if I was with someone that was close enough to like understand everything, they more than likely also have my blood sugar, which is super helpful. So like constantly checking my blood sugar, like if they need to, or if it's like a concern, but I think just like really checking in with your sim your specific symptoms, because I feel like low like changes from person to person. So if you just kind of make sure you like nail that on the head, like this is something to be concerned about. And at the very least, just ask what my blood sugar is, regardless of the situation or the circumstance. Great advice. Is there anything that anyone feels would be important to add? Yeah, Shay. I just have one thing in that I found it really helpful to have a friend with you that wouldn't mind leaving the party early or wherever you're going, mm -hmm. going back with you to make sure you're okay in case anything happened. Because there were a couple times we went out and I went low and I just didn't feel comfortable being out anymore. And it is not safe 
to get back by myself. And so just before you even go out, find someone who'd be willing to do that with you is I felt was super, super big and something I didn't think about until I was out there and realized that that happens. Um, so that's just what I was thinking. Awesome. Yeah. Really great advice. Really great advice. Jumping in again because of the importance of this topic, ultimately I think we'll create an episode or a resource dedicated to just this subject because I don't think this information can be stressed enough. Now please don't get the wrong message that we condone underage drinking or alcohol abuse or the use of any illicit substance because there are a lot of risks associated with it. And living with diabetes significantly adds to those risks. But we also feel that it's important to arm people and empower them with information because chances are folks that are in college are going to be exposed to these types of things. I cannot be more impressed with the advice and the maturity of the answers that our guests have given today and they really hit the nail on the head. The biggest takeaway, drinking alcohol can lead to serious low blood sugar reactions and the more alcohol that is consumed, the more significant those risks. So you should never, never drink alcohol on an empty stomach or without consuming a carbohydrate-dense meal. Different types of alcohol or mixed drinks might initially cause blood sugars to spike because they're sugary or loaded in carbohydrates, but then hours later they can actually cause your blood sugars to plummet. So if you have active insulin or insulin on board, this can really be a dangerous situation. Alcohol can also mask the symptoms of low blood sugar. So like Keaton said, it can really mix up the signals of things you might be feeling usually. And I think this ultimately brings us to the scariest potential situation of mixing alcohol and diabetes. Let's say a person with diabetes has been drinking and they fall asleep or they pass out and everyone around either suspects that they're drunk or intoxicated or just sleeping it off when really they could be experiencing a serious low or hypoglycemic episode that requires medical attention. Now, echoing what Chris said, emergency glucagon injections might not work effectively in an individual who has consumed alcohol. And echoing what all of our guests said, if you plan on going out, we cannot stress the importance enough of having a reliable, sober-minded friend who not only understands diabetes, but who would not be afraid or hesitate to call 911 if the situation were to warrant it. We've included links to more resources about this specific topic in the description of this video and podcast. All right, back to the episode. Okay, we're getting to our final few questions here. Uh, what would you say has been the biggest transition between leaving high school and starting your career as a college student? Jordan, we'll, we'll pitch this one over to you. I think just the idea of over-communicating everything. I used to, my parents used to drive me crazy by, um, they'd be like, oh, you got to make sure like people know, people know. I'm like, it doesn't really matter. Um, but it really does. Like having people that know, it makes it much easier like when the situation is normal than if when god forbid you are low or like you are in a more critical situation and you are less able to like communicate clearly so i guess be prepared and like prepare for those kind of situations and also um just it's different um when you're like out there and mom and dad aren't 10 15 minutes away like and able to bring you low snacks or bring you like bring you insulin or you need to you need to um have it with you and you need to be be responsible and i think that's really like the the next step in going from high school to college cool sharky what's been your experience what's been the biggest difference making that transition so making that leap <laughs> 
Um, I kind of spent all of high school like kicking and scratching for as much independence as possible with diabetes. And then you get to college and you have more than you could really ask for. Um, that's definitely been it for me. Uh, like having to order my supplies on my own and deal with insurance and things like that has really sort of made me realize that I'm not a kid anymore, I guess. And uh, I, I guess the amount of time that I have to spend on things like, you know, for example, I'm currently doing an insurance appeal for my insulin pump. So you spend like two hours a day on the phone doing things like that. And it's, it's a lot more of a hassle than you ever really understood. And uh, sort of gives me that retrospective appreciation of the overwhelming parenting that I received for several years. I'd, I'd say the biggest transition is definitely the overwhelming amount of independence that you receive. Awesome. And it can be a bad thing sometimes, really. Nothing says summer vacation like two-hour-long insurance phone calls. Right? That's right. Danelle, I'm going to pitch this one to you. So we're seeing uh, an uptick in people that are being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes uh, at all ages now. So it's obviously no longer called juvenile diabetes. There's more and more people that are college age that are getting diagnosed with diabetes and are looking for places to turn. Where, what would be kind of your starting, your starting point or advice you would give to someone who is recently diagnosed and they are currently a college student? First of all, I'll tell them... Like, I mean, it's going to be hard, but I'm telling them, like, don't, don't be overwhelmed. Like, try your best not to be overwhelmed. I really stress to them to reach out to their, their, their medical team, like, whether that's a nutritionist, whether that's a uh, therapist, because, yeah, at some point, you're, you may have to speak to a therapist uh, to, to help you gain that confidence and that, that, inner, that, inner, that inner peace with yourself, whether that's your, your, your endocrinologist. Uh, and if you have trouble with your endocrinologist, Try to your best to, I guess, find a different one that that could probably help you help you a little bit better. Like all those moving pieces, your parents as well have a big role to play in your in your management for your diabetes. And so, like if you can get them all working as a as a solid unit, um, and really really listening to your needs, then it makes things a lot much easier. Um, it's still gonna be challenging, but it'll make things a lot much easier. Don't be afraid of those challenges because those challenges as well, those challenges are there, well, are gonna be put there in front of you so that you can continue to grow, um, continue to learn your diabetes because you're not gonna know everything about it. And like, you're gonna have to have those moments where you're, yeah, you're gonna have to experiment with it and see what happens. Yeah, but experiential really learning. Be, um, um, big, big, uh, be a part of your, 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 your medical team and like make sure you're, you communicate and not, not feel those challenges. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Sam, I'm going to pitch that one to you too. So someone is college age, just diagnosed. What are you sharing with them? So definitely what Danelle said. Um, I think just in addition to that though, and this even goes for not newly diagnosed, just kind of everyone just embrace it. And I mean, it's just something to be not ashamed of. Um, I found that like in high school, I, I went to a very small high school so if I talked about it, everybody knew my business and I wasn't like comfortable with that. But like in college, once I got here, I saw people with their Dexcoms on their arms and their Omnipods. And I was like, hey, there's a diabetic. Oh, there's another one. And then we just talked to each other and stuff like that. So like, don't be afraid to reach out because I can guarantee majority of the time other diabetics will want to talk to you as well. And like, just don't be ashamed. Embrace it. 
Awesome. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Before we do, we're going to end on a fun note. Um, so I'm going to ask everyone rapid fire question. What is your favorite low supply in college? Jordan, we're going to start with you. Applesauce. Um, Apple. I know that's very random, um, but applesauce, that stuff, uh, it you can put it in the fridge. You can keep it out. You don't need to do anything with it. It is 15 grams of fast acting magic. It works really fast for me. I love it. It's wonderful. You know, I didn't think there were right or wrong answers to this question, but that is the <laughs> wrong answer. Applesauce is disgusting. <laughs> uh, Shay, favorite low supply? Uh, mine was graham crackers because they literally could not go bad ever. And they all just tasted the same and it was great all the time. All right. Okay. Chris. Uh, mine is Rice Krispie Treats because I get very hostile when I'm low and you can eat those extremely aggressively. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Keaton. Um, I liked uh, some cold orange juice from my mini fridge. All right. I'm an orange juice guy myself. Uh, Danelle. Uh, applesauce. Oh, I mean, come on. Apple, sorry, but I also like applesauce too. Like, they, I don't know. Like, <laughs> they're both good. <laughs> All right. Bring us back to home, Sam. <laughs> Give us the right answer. I got to go with pineapple juice. Pineapple juice. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. We're going to wrap this up. I'll tell you what, y'all. I will put, unless you say otherwise, I'll put everyone's uh, Instagram handles up available on the link. So if people want to follow you and ask you personal questions, I'm sure people would appreciate having that available to them. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for offering your insights and your expertise on navigating college with type one diabetes. You all are an excellent resource for a lot of folks out there. So thank you so much for carving out the time and being on this episode today. And as always, the content in this video and podcast is for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have seen or heard in this video or podcast. Reliance on any information provided during today's episode is solely at your own risk. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode of The Leaf.